He's able. He's able. He's able. He's able. He's willing. He's ready. He's waiting. All these things. He can do it. He has done it. Oh, yes, he has. Oh, yes, he has. <laughs> Lord have mercy. A minute ago when I was talking about worship having COVID, that didn't have anything to do with them. That didn't have anything to do with them. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It can't. It had to do with the spirit of worship we have as a congregation. We got to make sure that we get the booster put in place. Yeah. We plan things that God has already worked out. We do. We sat around talking about what we're going to do with the friendly church song. What's going to happen with the friendly church song? How are we going to do it? We're trying to write down stuff. And, and I just noticed, God just reminded Andre, worship is organic. It just grows. And folk were just doing what they do during the friendly. It didn't matter what we did. If you don't want to bump arms or do whatever, that's fine. But just play the friendly church song. And people greeting, are greeting one another. And I saw that, and I think that's the problem. We get in the way too much with what's going on. So let's just ask the Lord to have your way, Lord. Have your way. That's the thing. We used to sing that song. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Yeah. Have, just, just tell him to have his way, not our way. Because we can't see it all. But he can. He can he can see it. We can see every bit of it. And I'm so thankful that in in a whole lot of aspects of my life, God has had his way. Because my plan was a failure from the get-go. But God had his way in it. And it came out so much better than I could have imagined it. I could have imagined it. My whole career. God has had his way. Secular career, God has spiritual as well, but God has had his way. God has had his way. I would have been I would have been a lawyer with his own firm. That that was my plan. I even had the amount of money I wanted to make. That's that's what I had in place. And God came in and took his holy eraser and took my plans and erased that and he put in place what he wanted me to do that's it because the stuff I'm doing I was never on my sheet to do and some folk don't believe that but it's true I didn't even know how to dream that if I tell you I didn't even know how to dream to do that when it happened opportunities presented itself and, and I simply said yes and in saying yes, a multitude of blessings fell my way. Sometimes you just have to say yes. Yes to your way. Yes to your will. Yes. 
That's all you got to do is say yes. Some of us have blocked blessings for for decades in our lives simply because we wouldn't say yes. Tell them, yes, I'll obey. Even when it's not comfortable, when people mad at me because I'm saying yes to you, Lord, I'm still going to say yes. I'll take the flack from whomever. But as long as I know I'm doing what you want me to do, I'm good with it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Learn how to say yes to God. If you don't know when God is asking you to do something, be prayerful that he'll open those channels of communication so you can hear him, so you can know him, so you can know him. Say yes. Yes. you don't know why I'm doing this right now, that's why I'm doing this right now. There's a yes in you. There's a yes in you. You got to get there. We started a sermon series last week that I enjoyed so much, (laughs) honestly. The name of it is The Law of the Harvest. We started last week, um, comes from Jesus' teaching, find this in Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. There is there is a lesson there that has double application in your life. It teaches you a spiritual truth, but it also has physical application in your life. Oh, this is rich now. The rules that apply in the spiritual sense also apply in your life naturally. Oh, this is, this is big. Now, you want, you want to get these. There are laws. Heaven abides by these when it comes to harvest, sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. There are laws, natural, spiritual laws that apply. So last week, we started out just by way of remembrance. For those of you who weren't able to be with us and haven't called the replay, we started out talking about things that Jesus doesn't like. He doesn't like fishing without catching. He doesn't like that. How do I know this? Because the scripture shows us he doesn't like an empty banquet table. He doesn't. He wants you to be there. He doesn't like sowing without reaping or a fig tree that has no fruit. He doesn't like these things. Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't like a lost sheep that's not salt. He doesn't. He doesn't like a lost coin that's not salt and found. He doesn't like these things. He doesn't like a good harvest that is not reaped. And he certainly does not like proclamation of the word without a response. He doesn't. No. 
The problem is, he, what we found to be the problem, Cass, is that their fields are so abundantly overflowing for a harvest. But there's a problem because the laborers are too few. Anybody been in a drive-thru lately? Anybody been in a restaurant lately? You understand the shortage of laborers. Anybody been driving around town? Every business has a help wanted sign up, but the church has had a continuous help wanted sign up because there's work to be done, there's product to be given, but there are too few people out there willing to do the work that needs to be done. Too few. And so last week we gave you the first two rules in the law of harvest because they apply spiritually and naturally. The first rule is the rule of implantation. All right? That's the first rule. Got to. Seed can't do anything until it's planted. Got to get planted. Once you get planted, then things start to happen. And the second rule was the one of identification. And now we were really elaborate in our explanation of these things. And so I hope you'll go back and share in that worship service because it's, it's a blessing. Identification simply means if I plant peaches, the expectation is that I'm going to grow peaches. I can't plant peaches and expect apples. That applies naturally and that also applies spiritually. Walk with me on this. That applies positively and that also applies negatively. If I plant positivity, then I can expect a crop of positivity. Likewise, if I plant negativity, well, there's a crop coming. So identification was the second law of the harvest. Let me bring you back in terms of scripture, and then we'll get into the third one right away. The writer wrote, he also said, starting at verse 26, that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And then verse 27 says, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. I love this part. Though he does not know why. He does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it. Why? Because the harvest has come. That's the passage of Scripture. A little confusing to some, but as we delve into it, I think you'll understand it just a little bit better. The third law of the harvest, church, is one is implantation, two is identification, third is incubation. 
incubation. I'm doing alliteration here, which means I'm using all eyes in this. Yeah. Incubation. You have got to let it incubate in the, in the ground for a while. This is hard. And it's particularly hard in this generation because we want everything now. Instantly. When you grew up in a society that patience was injected into because of just how life was, if you grew up in what we call an agrarian or farming community, you had patience built into your expectations. But now we have grown up in, at least since my generation, we've grown up in a camp and a have it your way generation. Oh yeah, that's it. Have it your way. Not only have it your way, have it now your way. Used to be, even on social things, if you went to a restaurant, still today, if you went to a restaurant, you had to sit in the restaurant and wait on them to prepare your meal and bring it out to you. There was patience even in that. So you're talking, we're going out to dinner, we're talking about a couple of hour experience. Now you and I know that you can go to a restaurant if it's working right. And within 15 minutes, you can have your food and be on the way. Now think about that. Think about a generation that's grown up not knowing the other way. They don't even know the other way. They don't even know to sit down and wait. All they know is, I want it now. Children who are as young as talking, just starting to talk, know how to order. I want free fries and chicken nuggets. They know how to say that because that's dinner. I don't have to wait. Think about how this indoctrinates people now. I don't have to wait. I want it now. Why? Because now is what we train them for. But that's just not the reality of things when it comes to how we grow in life. The Bible says here, and I love this, it says night and day. Night and day. So if I'm saying night and day, that means the passage of time. Right? The clock is turning. Night and day implies that the sun has come up, the sun has gone down, night and day. Night and day. I'm waiting on something to happen. But when the sower, the farmer, the person plants the seed in whatever kind of soil it is now, we're not talking about the kind of soil, we're just talking about the fact that they plant it. Typically, there's going to be a passage of time before you can get a result from it. Now, watch this, because I love this. Some seed grows fast. That's just the nature of it. It simply is a fast-growing seed. It, it grows fast, and so you can expect that when I plant it, 30 days, something's going to happen. Then there's another seed that you can watch the field for a long time, and you do not see What's happening, which does not mean that nothing's happening. And this is what we have to teach our young folk and ourselves. Just because you can't see something happening does not mean 
something's not happening. And I love the fact, I don't know what laboratory they were in in heaven when God created this process of planting a seed and the determination was made that while the seed is in the ground, so much pressure and force had to be put on a seed in order to push the seed open so that nutrients and water could get in. And once that cycle took place, you would start seeing something happen within the seed that would produce a blade. That's a process, a very detailed process that was created by the creator. That's what happens naturally. Can I tell you what happens in your life? The same thing. You can't see all the growth that's going on inside of you. It's always funny to me, I'll see someone's child at the end of school, and I won't see them for the whole summer. And then I'll come back and I'll see them in August when school's about to start, and depending on their age, they've grown a foot. A whole foot. Yeah, I didn't see them, but something was happening with them. And ironically, while mom and daddy might know they've grown, it's not as stark to them, because they've been looking at them every day. It's a, it's a stark situation. Nothing is more impressive than a parent, I've seen, plant the seed of growth in a child, put them in a car. They drive off to the incubation of a collegiate atmosphere. You don't see them while they are there, but there are pressures and forces being pushed on them, Christian, that are happening to make you grow while you're there. And when I see you again at the end of the school year, a blade has come out. There's a flower growing that wasn't there when I planted you back in August. The same thing that happens spiritually happens physically. Spiritually, a sermon was preached when you were 12. And in that sermon, a seed was sown. And whatever God designed for the growth process in that sermon didn't materialize until you were 25. And suddenly, you start getting growth. Not from Reverend's sermon last week. I don't even know what he talked about. But the 12-year-old sermon starts to take root and starts to grow up in you and you suddenly start becoming the flower you were intended to be spiritually because the seed will never turn away void. It'll always produce Something, some of y'all are living on seed sown when you were a bad child sitting in church and it got your attention for a minute. And it dropped in you and you are now, the Bible says right here, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. Time. Time is essential to you growing. Time. <laughs> Help me, Deja, understand this. 
help me understand this, how frustrating it is to wait. Oh my goodness, it's just, I want to be what I'm going to be. I want to get there. I want to get there. I'm, I'm anxious to be the superstar that I'm meant to be. Only problem is, my life can't sustain it. This is why God has done it the way he's done it. Don't you want to know why young folk get an arm full of everything and then they bow under the weight of everything because they are not strong enough? Why isn't that a corn cob jumps out on the first blade? Because the plant is not strong enough to hold the fruit that comes out of it. It can't hold it. A stalk has to build strong enough to hold what's eventually going to fall from that plant. And that takes time. That takes time. Just like that happens in our lives naturally. You shouldn't. You, we struggle. The news is full of young folk with everything, literally, physically, they could want who cannot handle it, who mess up. And then the world will throw them away. Throw them away when simply they weren't ready for it. And sometimes disastrous things happen with their state of unreadiness. But we always look at it in the natural and don't think about it in the spiritual. Because the same thing is happening in the spiritual. We take young folk who barely got enough Jesus in them to handle their own walk. And we throw them into a multicultural melting pot where everybody's coming at them with their own ideas of what life is and what you ought to believe in. And sometimes it's simply the most charismatic person that gets their attention. Not that what they're saying is true. I just like them. They just cool. They dress nice. What they're saying makes sense. And that's when they come back to our church that they grew up in, to VBS, and they say, I don't believe in Jesus. Why? Because they weren't ready spiritually to handle what was put in front of them. We didn't equip them to go out there into the highways and byways with the wolves and the lions and, and the folk trying to get their attention. Don't you know devil want as many minions as he can get? He want to turn as many folk away from the Lord as he can, and you better equip your child spiritually. You better give them more than a footlocker if you're going to send them off somewhere. Yeah, you better give them a locker full of verses in their heart so that when the time comes, not if it comes, when the time comes, and there's a problem that jumps up in their life, at least if they got a relationship with the Holy Spirit who's intelligent, he can slip a verse up in their mind and remind them that greater is he who is in you then he who is in the world, you in the world right now, maybe he can slip some up and say no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Don't worry about these folk right here not liking you. 
It might just be the song verse. It might just be a movie verse that thinks about Christians and say, maybe when I think of home. <laughs> just put something in your mind that'll turn your head from the junk in here. I've been there. I've been there. And but for the fact that I was naturally scared. <laughs> naturally scared of stuff. There were times when I could have said yes to something that would have derailed my whole life. So when I see people walking down the street who did say yes, I can't do nothing but try to help them. He got a job full of folk with more potential, more opportunities than you can ever imagine. The only failing they had was they said yes. They said yes, and they found out that even though it was just one time, they'll come tell you it don't sound good after they've been telling you for 10 years and strung out and living on the street for 10 years, but they'll tell you naturally, one time I hit it. One time. I just hit it one time. And, and from that one time, I was zooming. It hadn't been the time. I've been chasing that since the one time. Now, 10 years later, when your life is wrecked and you done borrowed and stole from everybody else, ain't nobody still trying to hear one time. Get them ready. Tell them that what you sow will grow. That's spiritually, that's physically and naturally as well, but it takes time. Let me tell you how time works on that. I'm going to get out of here time because I still got two more. I'm, I'm wrapped up in this. But it's, this is, we need to know that it doesn't go anywhere. It's just waiting for the right environment to prosper. So if you spend your adolescence negatively, doing negative things, planting negative things in your life, it doesn't matter that you then hit a stride of good and life starts to blossom for you. That negative seed is going to grow. And typically it starts growing when your flowers are blooming. When the flowers in your life start blooming, seeds will grow too. Seeds of weeds will grow too. And weeds will snatch your flowers down. They will strangle your flowers. And you say, but I haven't done that in so many years. But you planted it. You, you, you planted it. I've seen people die. Literally die. Because they lived a life of negative sowing. Got it together. Got some innovation. Somebody got in their life and they realized that they were doing wrong. Life started going good. Got a job. Got a family. Doing well. We came up. Realized, oh, you the one. <laughs> they used to do what you did. I ain't going to go to Silk Sonic on that, but they used to do. Yeah, you did that to me back then. And now it's my time. And you say, but my flowers growing. Weeds don't care. 
Weeds don't care. Weeds will come and choke the life out of your flowers. And can I tell you something? This is the trick of the enemy. Some weeds look like flowers. <laughs> Some weeds are as beautiful as flowers. I bet Deacon Moe can validate that, that you can see a field of flowers that look so beautiful and you don't know that they are all weeds and you have laid out in them. Some of y'all done brought a weed home to mom and dad. Oh, you, you have? I love this weed. <laughs> I'm a bear of this weed. It's still a weed. And that's what you're sowing and you're planting in. Look, King Solomon said this. King Solomon said this. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1. Statement that probably wouldn't mean anything. He said, cast your bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Cast your bread upon the waters. Everything you need to know about life you can find in the Bible. This is investment advice. This is investment advice from the smartest man who ever lived. King Solomon. It's investment advice. He said, cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it shall return. That means that King Solomon, and to give you the back story, is found in 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 10. And to give you the verse, verse 22 of that chapter says, For the king, Solomon, had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. He had come in league with two groups. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish, bringing gold and silver, ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and for wisdom. Talking about patience, talking about investing, talking about growing. Solomon would take grain from his many granaries, much more than his people ever needed. And he would load ships up with them. Not just grain, but other things that were valuable. And he would send them out around the world. Cast your bread. See, because this is stuff that his, his folks could have eaten. They could have taken the grain and made bread or meat or whatever, but he loaded it up. Cast your bread. And one year would pass since the Navy left or the ships left. They don't come back. Two years pass, they don't come back. Three years pass, he sees them coming over the horizon. And on the ship, he's got gold, he's got silver, he's got all sorts of valuable things that the folk have traded the bread that he cast for. Cast your breads. And so he has invested in what he put on the ship. And he watches Cam three, four years later as the ship brings back his investment which is why Solomon becomes the smart, the, the, the richest man to ever live. Not that he went out, but simply because he chose to invest. What does that mean? You got to do the same thing. Sometimes you got to take that which you could live off today. And you got to invest it for 
tomorrow. Can I tell you what your greatest investment is, those of you here? Your children. Some of us hold them so tight. I'm coming to tell you that your child can be cast out. You put them, the right stuff in them, cast them out. Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three years later, or maybe four, they'll come back. And the investment will have proven itself, and you'll see that they have grown. That makes sense to y'all? That's what Solomon said. Solomon said, you got to determine whether you're losing or investing when you do that. That's how you bless someone. But it all takes, it takes time. It takes time. That's one. Let me move on because I'm, I'm stuck. The, the fourth principle you got, third, the third one is, the third one that you got to have is incubation. The fourth one is, and you're going to love this, it's called intensification. Multiplication. What does that mean, Andre? That means you get more than you planted. Be careful. You get more than you planted. You plant a seed, you get corn from one seed. You get a whole ear of corn from one seed. From one seed, Ashley, you get a whole apple tree. One seed can produce a whole apple tree. One smart person said this, and I don't know who it was who said this Proverbs, that anyone can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apple trees in a seed. <laughs> only God. How many apple trees can come out of one seed? One seed. How much blessing is in your child? How much blessing is in you? How much? Depends on what's sown into you. And you're going to get much more in terms of return than you planted. Now, I know everybody collapsed. Yay, I'm going to get much more. That works positively. That also works negatively. You might sow a little dirt. Let me tell you what the scripture says. You've sown the wind and you reap the whirlwind. Oh, oh yeah. Jose chapter 8, verse 7. You've sown the wind, but you reap the whirlwind. In other words, you sow, you've sown a little dirt, but you got a whole yard of mess back on you. Negatively, positively. You ought to keep your mouth off situations. You ought to keep stuff out of your life that's negative. You ought to try to live as positively as you can because it's going to come back. It's going to come back on you. So a whole lot of people sow their oats every day of the week. Monday, they sow a negative oats. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then they come to church Saturday, then they come to church on Sunday and pray for the crops not to grow. That's what we do. Lord, please don't let all the mess I've sown all this week come back on me. And can I tell you, crops are going to grow. 
crops are going to grow. And so let me, let me go ahead and straighten some out right now because we've been, we've been really messing some people up. We've been telling young folk that while you're young, you can do all that you want to do wrong. Get it all out of you. Get it out of your system. Go sow your wild oats. Can I tell you, when you do all that, it's going to grow. And but for the grace of God, some of us have not been jammed up because of the crops that we sown when we were younger. But for God's grace, we've been all right because we sure enough planted enough mess. Yeah, and some of us still sit back wondering, wondering. I had a good conversation with a friend recently telling me about an episode with another friend. He was sitting there one day. They were sitting around as couples. He discovered that one of the, one of the wild oats that had grown from his son was named Junior. I mean, from his friend was named Junior. Yeah, he had had a baby. None of them knew about it. None of the friends, these tight folk, none of them knew about it. He used to hang with him every day. Child was like in school. And so he gets in the car. He's sitting there with his mouth wide open saying, man, I never knew. They get in the car, <laughs> getting ready to leave, and wife is real quiet. They've been married for a while. After a while, he said, look, I know something on your mind. What's, what's the deal? She said, where yours? Where's yours? He said, I know you hung with him every time, all the time. Where is yours? <laughs> See, that's what you put. Now, that, that's not even an issue in the marriage. Oh, no, it ain't nothing like that. But it's simply a flower, a weed, rather, that's come up that you got to deal with because of how you dealt with life before. I don't know why we don't tell young folk you can live good when you're young and reap the benefit of good living when you're older there are people who are living 70 80 years old they're having a good time because they are living the dividends of a good youth live we don't tell young folk that enough that you don't have to have all this negativity in your life you don't have to live a ratchet lifestyle when you're young because sometimes when you live, most times when you live a ratchet lifestyle when you're young, you're going to live a decrepit lifestyle. When you're old, you do all this stuff when you're young, tearing your body down. And then you get older and your body is showing you that you tore it down when you were young. Ain't nobody got to say amen. Just say ouch. Take your medicine and keep on trucking. Thank God for the pharmacy that can help undo some of the mess that we did when we were younger. Hey, look, I'm in, the, I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. I tell anybody, keep weight off you. Because when you get older, it don't move like it used to. You can jump. You can run. You can eat salad for every meal. And it still won't shake it off like it's supposed to. Keep yourself... Together, this is a whole lot of sowing. And I'm doing a whole lot of reaping. 
I came to tell you today, these are problems that we have. We got to talk about this. Tell folk it's going to come back on you. It ain't going nowhere. And just like in the physical sense, it's also in the spiritual sense. Why you got hell in your house? Because you keep sowing hell. You got hatred in your house. You got anger. You got jealousy. It's not going to move. It's going to grow. You're planting this. And guess what? It's generational. It's generational. You're inflicting the trauma that was inflicted on you into a new house till somebody arrested. That's why we're talking about wellness all month. We got to talk about these things because these things have been sown into you. And you got to deal with it. The last thing I want to tell you after multiplication, and it's going to come back much more. And the last thing I want to tell you is once you learn the principles of sowing, once you learn that you've got to have the right attitude when you sow as well. Y'all know this, right? Because the Bible says that God is able to make all graciousness abound toward those who love him such that you have all sufficiency. Look at that. Look at what God is saying. The principle of if you sow properly, then God is able to make all of his graciousness come towards you. And look, I love this language, Ingrid. It says, such that you always have all sufficiency. What does it mean to always have all sufficiency? This is what it means. It means that God is so good that when he's blessing you, he makes sure you and your household have enough. And because of the principle of sowing and reaping, not only for y'all do you have enough, you have more than enough because his expectation is that you're going to help somebody else too. He doesn't care about your bank account. What he cares about is you taking what God has blessed you with and blessing somebody who is unable to get the same thing you have. You're supposed to help somebody else. You're supposed to. That's why you have all sufficiency. Because God can't, you can't ever go back to say, God, you gave me this, but I didn't have what I needed. God said, no, I gave you more than enough. God said, it ain't but six people in your house, and I gave you ten potatoes. So why your neighbor ain't got no potatoes? Why doesn't your neighbor have something to eat? If you got, I gave you what you needed. A potato for every mouse in your, mouth in your house. I'm simplifying it, but that's what he's saying, because we've got more than enough. And folk around us don't have anything. Anything. Share your taters with somebody else. Is what he's saying. You can't outgive God. If he gives you something, he has an expectation that you'll do something good with it. He didn't just give it to you because you're the only special one he has. If he gives you something, it's because he trusts you. He trusts you to do what's right with what he's given you. Which means you're going to take what you need and bless somebody else with it as much as you can. Not get all I can and can all I keep. No, 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 no. Keep all I can. That, that's not what he's telling you to do. He said bless somebody. Bless somebody. He's a great God. He's a good God. And the last principle, the last principle that you need to know, and go sit down, Andre, is implementation. You got to do something. You got to do something. It's not enough that you sit here and write it in your notes. 
you got to get up out of here and do something with the information you have. You got to walk it out. You got to talk it out. You got to tell somebody. You got to go sow a seed. You do. It's not just my job to sow seed. It's not my job just to tell folk about the love of God. It's your job to tell them if he's been good to you, if he's blessed you, then you ought to be telling somebody, teaching somebody, showing somebody how good he's been to you. You don't have to get up in a pulpit on Sunday morning, but you do have to tell somebody you're standing next to. Yeah. You got to show somebody. You show somebody. You always think somebody's going to get over on you. Some of us have been getting over on God. You see somebody standing in the line at Walmart counting down pennies to pay for that stuff. Put a dollar up there. What's it going to take from you? You're not going to even miss the money. You were about to go to church and chicken anyway. It doesn't even matter. Help somebody. They're trying to buy diapers and whatever. You see them struggling. But you start putting stuff on them. Oh, they probably got other problems. I ain't trying to get involved in it. You ain't got nothing to do with that. God didn't tell you to evaluate everybody before you bless them. He simply said, sow it. Can I tell you something? Generosity begets generosity. The more you give, God keeps on giving. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it over and over again. Generosity. Give and don't even think about it. Give and keep moving. Give. And folk will tell you, the Bible says that he loves a hilarious giver. Yeah. When folks see you give, and they laugh at you, and they say, you crazy. Why you give them that much? They ain't got nothing to do with it. I ignore them. I ignore them. If you're one of them folk who go to the restaurant and don't ever tip the waiter, Unless they bring you six, six glasses of tea. And by chance they don't bring you one, you say you ain't getting no tip. You wrong. You wrong. Everybody know in this day, tip part of service. You ain't doing that, you wrong. Why? Because we know they don't make no money anyway. Yeah. Bless somebody. Implement what you've learned. Show somebody. Yeah. You got to plan it by faith. I'm going to give you this and then I'm out for real. The Bible says, I don't got like remember on there. The Bible says this, he observeth the cloud. Excuse me, he that observeth the cloud and the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the cloud shall not reap. He that observeth the, the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. What you saying, Reverend Spark? You're a farmer. It's time for you to plant. You got seed. But you look outside and it look like it's going to rain. And you say, I ain't going to put my seed out there because I don't think my seed going to grow in this rain. So I'm just going to wait. He that observes the cloud. He that observes the cloud. That's what the scripture says. And he that regarded the clouds shall not reap. That means you paying attention to chapter 6 and the meteorologists. So what you need to be doing, where you need to be going, as opposed to simply in faith, going out there and planting your seed. You see, you see, the same God who makes the wind that moves the seed upon the ground is the same one who makes the tornado. 
the same wind. But God is the one who controls all of it. And he didn't tell you to regard the wind or the tornado. He simply said, plant. And leave the rest of it to him. And that's all I'm required to do. When you leave here this morning, my job is done. All I'm supposed to do is plant. I'm sowing into you today. What you do with it is entirely between you and the Lord. But you can't say, I didn't sow it into you. Now that goes with everything you do. I've struggled with that because I thought I was supposed to sow it and then help you walk it and then help you live it. But there's only so much one person can do. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to tell you how good he's been to me. Sometimes I'm going to confess to you that I know I haven't deserved him giving me anything. Sometimes I'm going to tell you and it's going to be funny. Sometimes I'm going to tell you it's going to be sad, but I'm going to tell you how good God has been to me. And I came to tell you today, when I didn't care nothing about the Lord, he cared about me. When I wasn't looking his way, when I was full of me, he was filling me. When I was on my way to nowhere, he put me on the road to going somewhere. When I didn't care about the work of the church, he made the church the only thing I care about. That's how good he's been to me. And I can't stop telling you how good he's been. So I came to tell you today, find what God wants you to do. Then go tell somebody how good he's been. And the main thing I came to tell you is about his son named Jesus. He's my big brother. He was willing to sacrifice his life for me. He died for me. In fact, I didn't even know he had taken care of it before I got here, Ingrid. But I found out that before I was a gleam in my mama and daddy's eye, Christ had already died for me. And not only did he die for me, he painted a road map for me to get where he is. And that's in eternity. And I plan on following that road map until I see him again. My only question is, will you be there? Will I see you there? Will I see you on the road to eternity? I want to show you how to get there, but you got to accept what Jesus has done for you. He died for you too. Do you know it? Did you know he died for you? He, he lived for us and then he died for us. If you're ready today to accept his gift, then I'm extending the invitation to you to come and be a part of our family. Just today, I'm extending it to you. Whosoever will, right now, right now, let them come. All these elders of the church are coming as a welcoming committee. They're so glad to see you. So glad for you to be here, whether you're in this space or in the cyber sanctuary. All you have to do right now is bow your head and acknowledge that you realize that Jesus Christ lived for you and died for you and was resurrected to life eternal for you. And if you accept that gift that he gives you, you too can be saved. Right now, the doors of our church are wide open. 